for beautifully leading us in song this morning. <clears throat> Good morning. Um, we will be in the book of Galatians this morning, specifically in chapter 4, verses 21 through 31, if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Um, we're right at the end of chapter 4 here in the book of Galatians. If we were considering uh, the length of Galatians by its number of chapters, we'd now be two-thirds of the way through this epistle, this letter of the Apostle Paul's to the churches at Galatia. There's, there's six chapters. We're in, finishing up chapter 4, so we're, we're two-thirds of the way through it now. When I first decided to preach through this book back in 2018, I kind of made the joke that, uh, Lord willing, I'd be through it by the time I was 40. Well, the joke was somewhat on me, because now I'm 41, and we're only two-thirds of the way through. So, um, so one of the things uh, I guess I've learned from this is, is expositories. Uh, preaching's ability not only to develop patience and, and endurance in, in the one preaching, but also in those listening. So, um, and I'm very thankful to be in a church that highly values and sees the necessity of the consecutive expo exposition of God's Word, uh, that seeks to understand the whole counsel of God and not just the parts that are most appealing to our personal preferences and likes. Uh, consecutive exposition denies us the luxury or even the laziness of skipping over the hard stuff, the hard text. And, and we find ourselves at one of those uh, texts this morning. Uh, it is the consensus among many uh, Bible scholars and expositors that this passage we're in this morning is, is one of the tougher ones in the book of Galatians, one of the hardest ones in the book of Galatians. So, I, I want to tell you this morning, I stand on the sh shoulders of, of many of those who went before me through this text, um, faithful God, who have, have preached and studied this passage, and, and three that I believe I am most indebted to uh, for this message this morning are, are uh, John Stott, Thomas Schreiner, and, and Alistair Begg. So, the end of chapter 4 here marks somewhat of a turning point in, in the book of Galatians. It marks the end of Paul's... Uh, major theological defense of freedom from the condemnation and curse of the law and trust in the promises of God in Christ as the only means by which we stand justified before God. As we move into chapters 5 and 6, um, you'll see that he moves from the teaching of uh, mainly just doctrine to the application of what he has just taught. And you'll see this structure to varying degrees in, in all of Paul's epistles. It will start, the first half will be doctrine, and the second half will be the application of that doctrine. Right belief precedes right behavior. So the theme of our passage today is the same theme of all Galatians, the theme that grasping for salvation by way of the law only enslaves and condemns and the only path to freedom from the law and sure salvation is faith in the promises of God fulfilled in Christ. 
in chapter 2-4, you can look there if you want, just a couple pages over, Paul says that there is a group of false brothers who have, have slipped in, have infiltrated the, infiltrated the ranks of these churches in Galatia, trying to spy out the freedom they have in Christ and to make them slaves. This group is commonly referred to as the Judaizers. They had come claiming and insisting that faith in the finished work of Christ wasn't sufficient for salvation, that the works of circumcision and adherence to the Mosaic law uh, must be added to faith to be justified before God. And throughout chapters 3 and 4, Paul uses this language of, of slaves and captives and prisoners to, to describe those who would seek to gain, gain salvation by trying to keep the law. And the language of redemption, the purchasing of slaves from free, the purchasing of a slave's freedom, the setting free of the captive to refer to the work of Christ accomplished in his death for those who would wholly trust on him. And in our passage this morning, Paul is going to give his knockout punch, so to speak, to drive home this, this theme of slavery under the law, but freedom through the promises of, of God in Christ. Um, in verse 20 uh, of chapter 4, Paul says that he is perplexed. He is deeply troubled by these Galatian believers' desire to submit themselves to the futile and damning keeping of the law. And he says he wishes he could change his tone, his way of speaking, and, and, and that this truth might penetrate their hearts and minds. And I think that's what he's doing here in verses 21 through 23. He says in verse 21, essentially, okay, tell me this, you who desire to be under the law, do you even know what the law really means? Do you listen to what the law says? Have you considered that if the law, the scriptures, uh, are, are read carefully, it becomes clear that those who, under, who are under the Mosaic law lived in bondage to sin and that freedom has only come about through the promises of God uh, fulfilled in the gospel of Jesus Christ? The very fact that you desire to be under the law says that you haven't. So Paul is taking them to the very law that they wish to be under to show them what a grave, grave error they are making. And this was not only a first century problem. We are still just as prone today as the Galatians were in AD 48 of committing this same error. There are still today those who imagine that the way of God is through rigid adherence to rules and regulations. Those who believe that their walk with God is, is sustained and is developed or depends in some way upon regulations, traditions, and ceremonies and the things we do. And some of us this morning may be caught in this very trap. And not only the trap of legalism, but also the trap of licentiousness. Since, since I am forgiven in Christ, it doesn't matter what I do, which we'll touch on that more also. So we, we are either in the trap of trying to be our own Savior or being our own Lord. <clears throat> and Paul is addressing such people here. He's saying, so you want to be, be under the law. You think that you can stay a Christian by obeying all these rules and regulations. You think that's your relationship with God? He says you're not even paying attention to the function and the nature of the law at all. So if that's you this morning, if you think that in some way Christ's work was deficient and insufficient 
to bring you into, into and keep you in relationship with God, that in some way you need to be your own Savior, it's my prayer that you will be delivered from this enslaving error and know the freedom that is, that is in and only in Christ. And to do that, we're going to consider Paul's argument by thinking in three particular ways. The first, we're going, we're going to consider it historically. And, and that will be verses 21 through 23. Second, we're going to be thinking figuratively in verses 24 through 27. And personally, in verses 28 through 31. Let's go ahead and read our passage in its totality. Um, Galatians 4, verses 21 through 31. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. <clears throat> she corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at the time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. So, as I said, first we must be thinking historically. Uh, one of the reasons this passage is considered to be one of the more difficult in the, in the whole book of Galatians is because it pre presupposes a knowledge um, of the history and storyline of the Old Testament. <clears throat> Specifically, the history and story of the life of Abraham found in Genesis chapter 16, 17, and 21. And for the sake of time this morning, we're not going to be able to delve deeply into all that background. And I'll say if you're not familiar with it, go back and read it so you can get a better grasp on this teaching this morning. So if, if we back up a little bit in Galatians in chapters 3, verses 6 through 9, we see that these Judaizers, uh, these proponents of a false gospel, were attaching great importance to their physical and natural descent to the lineage of Abraham. And they attached such importance to this lineage, to the father of the Jews, that they were deeming it necessary for Gentile non-Jewish believers to be circumcised if they were to be true sons of Abraham. But he says in verse 7, in verse seven of chapter 3 that it is those of faith who are the true sons of Abraham. Those who ex exercise the same faith as Abraham are his true sons. Abraham is the father of God's people, not because of his bio, 
biological ancestor of the Jews, but because he has a family of spiritual children who follow in his footsteps by believing as he did. It was not on account of circumcision that Abraham was accounted righteous by God, but as Genesis 15 says, he believed God and it was reckoned, it was accounted to him as righteousness well before even the institution of circumcision. Abraham believed and was accounted righteousness. By faith, Abraham was considered a child of God, as are all those who believe as he did. And Paul is not the first one to address this error of the Jews in focusing on the physical lineage of Abraham over and against the, the spiritual lineage of Abraham. If you would turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. And here we have John the baptizer coming, preparing the way for the Lord, calling people to repentance, um, calling them to, to turn from and confess their sins, baptizing confessors, telling them to look for the one who would come and baptize them in the Holy Spirit. And there in verse 7 of chapter 3, starting there he says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourself, and here's the issue, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So John says, so what? You can trace your family lineage back to Abraham, Father Abraham. You think that will deal with the issues of your heart? You think this is what puts you in a right relationship with God? You are sadly mistaken because if God wanted, he could, he could bring up natural descendants from these stones if that's what he was seeking. So Jesus also addressed this issue with the, with the Jewish leaders. If you want to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 8. Specifically, Verses 31 and following. <clears throat> Jesus says to the Jews here, If you hold to my teaching, then you will be my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. To which the Jews reply, There it is again. We are descendants of Abraham and have never been in bondage to anyone. So how is it that you say we will be made free? To which Jesus replies, If you were truly Abraham's children, spiritually, you would do as Abraham did. You would believe as Abraham did. But that's not the case. You are actually seeking to kill me. We have one Father, even God, they say in response. If that were the case, Jesus said, then you would love me, but you hate me enough that you want me dead, which proves you are not sons of Abraham or God, but you are sons and children of Satan. So we see from these two accounts of, from John the Baptist and Jesus that they dealt with the same issue that Paul is dealing with in these churches of Galatia, that true descent from Abraham is not physical but spiritual. Spiritual. 
And to further that point, Paul in Galatians 4 reminds these Jews who were boasting in their family tree that those <clears throat> and those were seeking to follow them in their error of an important detail that they had missed. That Abraham had not only one son, but he had two, Ishmael and Isaac. And from these two sons, Paul points out that there is not a single descent from Abraham, but a double descent, a false and a true. The false being literal and physical, and the true being figurative and spiritual. And though they both had Abraham as their father, there were two important differences that underscored this truth, and he points out these differences in verses 22 and 23 of our Galatians passage. The first of these differences is, is that they had different mothers. Verse 22 says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Now the sons and the women aren't, aren't named here, but they are Ishmael and Isaac and Hagar and Sarah. And it is important to note that Paul never identifies Ishmael and Sarah by their name here. It is only Isaac and Hagar that he mentions by name. And he does this to highlight the fact that the significance wasn't so much in who they were, but what they were. Uh, the significance rested in their status. Um, Hagar was a slave, a servant of Abraham's. Sarah was a free woman, the wife of Abraham. And as these women were, so would their sons be. The significant <clears throat> Ishmael, being the son of a slave woman, was born into slavery. And Isaac, being the son of a free woman, was born into freedom. And Paul's wanting to make this clear because he's about to apply it figuratively. So the first difference is they had two different mothers, two different statuses. One was slave, one was free. The other difference between these two sons of Abraham is that they differed in the nature of of their birth. Verse 23 says, But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to through promise. Now, biologically speaking, the way in which these two sons were born was the same. They both were conceived, they were nine months in gestation, and they were born in the in the same way that every every um, child was born. But it is the circumstances surrounding the verse that is different. We see, we see a contrast in this verse and in verse 29 uh, between the flesh and the promise, between the flesh and the spirit. And when, when we see this contrast, we can be fairly certain that the word flesh is referring to the fallen nature, um, what human beings are in Adam. And this fits well to the circumstances that brought about uh, the birth of Ishmael. Ishmael was a product of Abraham and Sarah's lack of faith in the promises of God. He was the result of them trying to fulfill the promises of God by their own effort and agency. And the circumstances surrounding Isaac's birth were the total opposite. Isaac wasn't the product of natural human effort, but the supernatural work of God to bring life to what was barren and dead in fulfilling His promises. If you want to, turn with me to Romans chapter 4, verses 17 through 21. 
We heard this passage at the beginning of service this morning. And here we get a good summary of, of some of the circumstances that surrounded uh, the birth of Isaac and its supernatural nature. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls existence to the things that do not exist. In hope he believed, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. His body was beyond childbearing years. And through that, that was dead, God was going to bring life. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. The writer of Hebrews says similar. Um, he says, By faith Sarah received power to conceive, power from the Holy Spirit, even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead in terms of childbearing, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So, so we see that Israel, uh, Isaac's birth come about by, in a supernatural way. Ishmael's according to the flesh. <clears throat> so, so the son of the slave woman, Ishmael, was born in the ordinary way, but the son by the free woman, Isaac, was born in an extraordinary way. Ishmael, uh, Ishmael's arrival was natural and normal. Isaac's arrival was supernatural and abnormal. So this is the picture that Paul sees developing and wanting this Galatian believers and us to grasp. Ishmael was born a slave according to nature and is representative of those who rely on law and human effort for their salvation. And Isaac was born a free man as the result of the extraordinary intervention of God and stands for those who come to God by divine initiative, relying on the promises of God given in Christ Jesus. And this leads to our second point, thinking figuratively. In verses 24 through 27, at verse 24, it says, Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are or represent two covenants. What Paul's getting at is that what he's about to say is to be taken figuratively. That he's going to use these two women, Hagar and Sarah, to illustrate some deep spiritual truths. First, he says they represent two covenants. To have an understanding of the Bible, we have to have somewhat of an understanding of covenants. Our, our very Bible is, is divided by them. It is structured by two covenants. We have the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Testament. A covenant is, is an agreement between God and man by which he makes them his people and promises to be their God. The Old Covenant was established through Moses. The New Covenant was established uh, through Christ and was ratified by his blood 
on the cross. The old Mosaic covenant was based on law, but the new Christian covenant was based on the promises of God. And notice I didn't say that the new covenant was based on, on grace and the old was based on law. That's, that's a false dichotomy. For we read in the law itself that our, our God is the Lord, gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love and forgiveness for thousands, but who will by no means clear the guilt, guilty. We see God's very grace in the giving of the law and the fact that it reveals our absolute inability to keep the law. And through its sacrifices, we see our need for a substitute to bear the penalty of our rebellion against God, pointing us to the new, the fulfillment of all His promises in the cross of Christ. So the old covenant was based on the law. His grace gave it. And the new covenant is based on promise. His grace fulfilled it. So in verse 25 of our passage, it says, Now Hagar is or represents Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Mount Sinai is where God established the Old Covenant based on the law, and, and the present or earthly Jerusalem is the place where the Old Covenant receives its highest expression in the way of temple worship. So essentially what Paul is getting at here is that those who think that their relationship with God is built upon an adherence to the law and the execution of ceremonies and rituals and rites of the temple are children of Hagar. Those who fail to see what the Old Covenant pointed to showed themselves to be children of Hagar, slaves. Not freed from the law, but captives under the law. Not recipients of God's gracious blessings, but bearings of God's curse against sin. Sarah, on the other hand, represents the new covenant and the new Jerusalem that is not in slavery, but free. Verse 26 says, But the Jerusalem that is above is free. She is our mother. So the picture is clear. Hagar rep represents those who are seeking to earn their acceptance before God by means of the old covenant and seeking to live for God and with God on the basis of that. Those who do show themselves to be descendants of the slave Ishmael. But Sarah represents those who come to God by a different lineage. Those who follow through the free line of the son Isaac. And so she represents the freedom of Christianity that comes through a personal relationship with Christ. We are the children of the new Jerusalem. We are the children whose citizenship is from above. We are free from the curse and condemnation of the law through Christ. And if we are citizens of the Jerusalem that is above, that means we have been supernaturally born from above. Just as Isaac's birth was, super, was the supernatural work of God, so it is for all those who find themselves in his spiritual lineage. If you look down at verse 29 in chapter 4 of Galatians, you'll see in reference to Isaac, it says that he was born according to the Spirit. And this echoes what Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 3, that unless one is born from above, born again, he cannot see, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. <clears throat> it is the regenerate, those who have had their hearts of stone removed by God and replaced with a heart of flesh. Those who have been given eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive the kingdom of God 
who are its citizens and his children. So you might ask yourself this morning, how do I know if I'm regenerate? If I have been born again? If I am a citizen of the heavenly Jerusalem? One major way we can know is how we respond to God in the gospel. 1 John 5.1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Is born of God. No one genuinely confesses and receives Christ as Lord and Savior unless they have been born from above, regenerated. And 1 John 3.9 says that those born of God, those who are regenerate, do not continue in sin. Not that they are perfect. This is not sinless perfection. But the pattern of life is seeking more and to more to obey God out of gratitude for what He has done for us in Christ. So, there are essentially three ways we can respond to the gospel, and only one of them shows that we are born from above, that we are regenerate. The first says, I obey, therefore I am accepted, and because I live a holy life, God will save and forgive me. Essentially, I am my own Savior. I have Jesus as Lord, but I will be my own Savior. That's legalism. And it shows us to be citizens of the earthly Jerusalem, sons of slavery just as the Pharisees and Sadducees. The second is just the flip side of the same unregenerate coin. It says, I live as I please. Since God saves and forgives my sin, a holy lifestyle is is optional. I am my own Lord, and this is license, and is also proof that your citizenship is not from above. Those who are born of God do not continue in sin. Again, it's not... Perfection, but it is a striving to be done, done away with it, and be made more into the image of Christ. It is because of Christ, and, and the, uh, the third response is that from a heart that has been made new, that says, I am a sinner and I am accept, accepted only because of Christ, and that is why I obey. It is because of Christ's perfect obedience and His taking upon Himself the wrath of God that I deserve in my place on the cross that I am forgiven and saved. This is what leads me to walk in obedience. Jesus is both my Lord and my Savior. It's both and. It's not either or. If you find yourself this morning on the side of legalism or license and you sense the conviction of the Spirit upon your heart drawing you to respond as one born from above to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, do not quench it. Today is the day of salvation. Confess to God that you are a sinner deserving of His wrath and judgment that you trust on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for your salvation and your right standing before God and begin to walk in newness of life. Receive Him as your Savior and walk with Him as your Lord. No longer a slave to license or legalism, but free to obey in the power of His Spirit.
So we've considered our passage historically and figuratively. Lastly, now we will consider it personally. Read with me verses 28 through 31. of chapter 4 of Galatians. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So if we are Christians, we are like Isaac, not Ishmael. Our descent from Abraham is not of nature, but of supernature, supernaturally, born by the Spirit. And if we are like Isaac, we should expect to be treated as Isaac was treated. And the first example Paul gives us is how Isaac was treated by Ishmael. In verse 29, he says... But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. So Paul says the first thing we can expect is persecution. Um, the incident that Paul is referring to comes from Genesis 21 verses 8 and 9. Here they're throwing a celebration for, for Isaac's being weaned. He would have been about three years old. Ishmael would have been uh, like around 17. And um, there it says that, that Sarah witnessed him um, laughing or mocking at Isaac. <clears throat> we don't know all the exact details, but we do have that, that, that Sarah witnessed Ishmael mocking and laughing at Isaac. And though we don't have all the details, it's clear that Isaac was the object of Ishmael's scorn. And Paul says, as it was then, so it is now. And, and one, one thing we have to remember, it wasn't some um, outsider who persecuted, who was persecuting um, Isaac. It was his own half-brother. As Christians, we should not only expect persecution from the world, those outside Christian circles but also from those within Christian circles as well. You aren't so fanatical as to believe that Jesus is the only way, are you? Well, according to John 14, 6, it says there's only one way. You don't actually believe that the Bible is the the actual Word of God, do you? Well, according to 2 Timothy 3.16 and, and uh, 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21, it is. You're not so behind in the times that you actually believe in miracles and, a, and an actual literal hell, do you? Who were the ones persecuting the believers in the churches of Galatia. They were religious people. Who was it that beat and persecuted Paul and the prophets before him? It was religious people. 
And who was it that persecuted and called for the crucifixion of our Lord? It was the religious people. So if we are sons of promise like Isaac, we should expect persecution from those like Ishmael. So in the words of 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 15, I think it is, Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So not only can the spiritual descendants of Isaac expect the same treatment Isaac received from his half-brother, but they can also expect the same treatment from God that Isaac received from Abraham. Not only will they experience persecution, but they will receive an inheritance. Verse 30 says, But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Paul is quoting here Sarah's reaction to Ishmael's mocking um, from Gen- of Isaac from Genesis 21.10. And though Abraham was not exactly excited about it, um, God confirms Sarah's wishes and tells Abraham to do as she said, for through Isaac his offspring shall be named. And it's very interesting that the Jews interpreted this very scripture as God's rejection of the Gentiles. But Paul, this Pharisee of Pharisees, is, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is driving home this point even further. He's flipping this on its head and, and, and saying it, it's not about natural descent. Um, it, it's, it's all about, it's spiritual. It's all spiritual. It's about... Um, And it's always been a spiritual issue. Do you trust in the promises of God fulfilled in Christ for your salvation? Then you are like Isaac, the child of promise, and have an inheritance, the heavenly Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God that is free from all sin and death and corruption, that has no need for a son, for the presence of God illuminates it day and night and will be the dwelling place of Christ and His church for all eternity. And the spirit that caused you to be born from above is the seal that guarantees your inheritance with God. But if you're spiritually like Ishmael, the child of the flesh, trusting in your own efforts and self-righteousness, thinking that God's grace and intervention aren't necessary for your salvation, then you have no inheritance with the Father. Those who persist in unbelief and show themselves to be spiritual descendants of Ishmael will receive what Ishmael received. They will be cast out from the presence of the Father to the outer darkness for all eternity. So I want to leave you this morning with a story and and a question. I borrowed this this story from, from Alistair Begg, and he begins... Like this, I spoke with a lady last night and I said to her, you know, it's a strange thing, but all this group here one day will stand before God. The lady said, well, that's okay. 
And I said, well, what are you going to say? She said, I'm going to say, well, I was a good mom and I was a good wife. And I'm sad, I said, I'm glad you can say that. But that's not even going to be a question. The question is going to be, what did you do in response to my son, Jesus? She cleared her throat and changed the conversation and said, well, we'll have to talk again some other time. And that's the question I leave with you this morning. How have you responded to Jesus Christ for those who have not or haven't considered that? And if you have responded to Christ, how are you continually responding to Him day after day? Let us pray.